You're listening to KMUZ, Turner. Visit our website at kmuz.org to see our complete program schedule and learn more about supporting KMUZ. Welcome to The Forum, our weekly public affairs program. On our Facebook page, The Forum on KMUZ, you'll find upcoming topics and can leave comments. Today's forum is a recording of the City Club Lunchtime Virtual Forum that features the two candidates running for mayor of Salem. They were introduced by City Club program lead Russ Beaton, who led with an important fact about Salem's place in this political region. Just a word about our new congressional district. We're in one of the fewer than 10 nationally new congressional districts here in Salem. The City Club briefly considered covering those races, but the uh, something like 14 candidates in the two primaries uh, precluded that. We'll certainly be covering that election in the fall. Here in Salem, though, uh, as you know, probably all five of the elections that are normally up, the mayor and four city council races, none of them have an, has an incumbent. And therefore, we will be having five new positions covered. Today's program starts with a very important portion of local elections, and that's the Salem mayoral race between Chris Hoy and Shane Griggs. And to start that program, I'd like to turn you over to our moderator, who will run the debate and introduce these candidates further. That's Cindy Condon. So, Cindy, you're on. Thank you, Russ. And good afternoon. And thank you, candidates Griggs and Hoy, for making the time in your very busy schedules for this friendly debate today. The time we have is way too short to cover all topics we wanted to get to in the formal debate this afternoon. We are counting on our Salem City Club members and others to ask questions during the last 15 to 20 minutes of the program. Now, just a brief introduction of the candidates before we get to our questions. More detailed information can be found on their websites, which were linked to the announcement of this program. Chris Hoy is a fourth-generation Oregonian. Chris has represented the residents of Ward 6 on the Salem City Council since 2017 and was also recently appointed as the state representative for House District 21. As a city councilor, Chris is focused on housing and homelessness, public works, and legislative issues. Chris is chair of the Salem Housing Authority Board of Directors and serves as vice chair of the Mid-Willamette Homeless Alliance Board of Directors. He has been elected as the council president each year since 2019. Chris retired from a career in law enforcement, serving for more than 30 years. He most recently served as undersheriff at the Clackamas County Sheriff's Office. He previously served in leadership positions at both the Marion and Lincoln County Sheriff's Offices. Chain Dillard Griggs retired from her position as the regional director of the Oregon Community Foundation. Previously, she spent most of her career in public service, ranging from staff positions in the legislative branch to teaching Japanese in the Salem-Kaiser School District to serving as the assistant director for the Department of Corrections. Chain primarily worked with a focus on communications and legislative coordination. She currently is the vice chair for the Capital Planning Commission and has served the City of Salem volunteering on the Budget Committee, Salem Parks and Recreation Committee, Historic Landmarks Committee, Salem Public Art Committee, and she is currently president of the Salem Planning Commission. Thank you both for your services. Again, more details about the candidates can be found on their websites. The format we are using for the debate 
today is intended to be fair and offer both candidates the opportunity to speak to the questions without interruption from the other candidate. Both candidates will have timed opening and closing remarks. After opening remarks, we will have four to six questions today. Each candidate is allowed two minutes to respond to each question with the first responder to the question allowed 30 seconds to rebut comments made by the second candidate answering the questions. I will alternate between the candidates for the first response um, to each question. We are using a timer app for the first time today and we have confidence it will work perfectly. (laughs) But if not, we hope you will bear with us if a glitch occurs. So with that, let's get started. And Chris, I think you're first up for opening remarks. Well, thank you, Cindy, and thank you to the City Club for hosting us today. Forward, neutral, reverse. We're at a crossroad in Salem. We can build on the momentum we've created these past few years and move forward, or we can stop where we are and leave everything in limbo while we idle. Or we can reverse course and turn back around to the old road where decisions are driven by the developers who finance local campaigns. We need a mayor who is ready to hit the ground running. There is no time to spend learning what the city does or how things work. My life experience and my 33 years of public service have prepared me well for this role. And I believe I offer the vision and leadership necessary to keep the city moving forward. I bring the experience of a fourth generation Oregonian. The experience of a person born to a single mother struggling with substance abuse. The experience of a child placed for adoption. The experience of a person raised in a working class family on the Oregon coast. The experience of a son whose mother suffered from mental illness and who died while a patient at the state hospital. The experience of a 30-year law enforcement professional. The experience of a labor union local president. The experience of a person who has run a residential alcohol and drug treatment program. The experience of someone who has worked with domestic violence offenders and survivors. The experience of a Salem City Councilor. The experience of the City Council President. The experience of the Vice Chair of the Mid-Willamette Valley Homeless Alliance working with regional partners to tackle homelessness. The experience of the President of the Salem Housing Authority Board of Directors and the experience of a state representative. I bring all of this with me to tackle the issues facing Salem today and on the road ahead into the future. A future with a revitalized downtown, a future where Salem has adequate housing and services to effectively address the critical issue of homelessness, a future where Salem embraces smart growth and makes important strides toward reducing greenhouse gas emissions, a future where we have a connected system of walking and bike paths, a future where we value the environment, and a future where everyone in Salem has the opportunity to thrive. Thank you. Thank you for that, Chris. And now, Jane? Thank you, Cindy. And I echo um, Chris's comments on acknowledging City Club for hosting today's events. I know I am running because things in Salem simply are not working. Business owners who are struggling to recover from this two-year pandemic, residents who want to reclaim their parks and their downtown, young couples who are challenged to buy and even to find their first home. We just cannot afford to continue to do business as usual. We look at our homeless or our houseless issue, and although we have thrown millions of dollars to the problem in the past five years, the situation has not apparently gotten better. In my former role as assistant director for the Department of Corrections, I saw firsthand how evidence-based treatment and programming coupled with accountability can work. A key component of addressing the homeless issue is transparent, effective, and accountable public safety. And that work should be equitable and fair to all of our communities. 
I'm confident under the leadership of Chief Womack that our women and men in uniform will protect our children, our families, our businesses. And I'm proud to share the fact that I now have not only the endorsement of the fire union, but also the police union. And I will work to ensure that they have the resources to keep us safe and to ensure their safety as well. Another issue facing our community is the fact that we're running out of buildable land within our urban growth boundary. We're expected to grow in the next 14 years, and it's the responsibility of city leaders to ensure that we can meet that housing need. As Planning Commission President, I firsthand understand the challenges we have in finding balance between the outcomes from the Climate Action Plan and the need to have flexibility to build to meet our housing needs. We need Salem to be a safe, welcoming and thriving community for all of those who choose to live, work and raise their families here. I know there are other issues we face and I look forward to addressing those in this conversation. Thank you for those comments, both of you. And now Chain uh, got the draw for the first question. So let's get started now with the questions. And if elected, how would you define and approach your role as Salem's mayor? Thank you for that question. Um, I see the role, we have a very strong city manager uh, form of government as most people do know. I see the role of the manager is to ensure, the mayor is to ensure that the staff have the resources they need to do their job effectively and to the best extent that they can. Um, I also see the role of a mayor as also encouraging civic participation. We have many groups across our city who are not involved. I spoke to a Hispanic gathering a couple of weeks ago, the first Hispanic, our first Hispanic kickoff. And you would be surprised how many individuals were just thrilled to be invited and be part of the, the process of electing a mayor. So I, I think the role of the mayor is to do that, is to engage different communities across um, Salem to be part of the process, including our youth. And I really do stress that uh, I would love to develop that cohort of our population so that they can then become the future city councilors and mayors of our city. Hey, thank you. And Chris, I'll repeat the question for you. If elected, how would you define and approach your role as Salem's mayor? Thank you, Cindy, for the question. I, I guess I would define my role and approach as one where everybody is treated with dignity and respect, whether that's staff, the public, uh, fellow council members. I think that first and foremost, we have to lead by example when, when we're elected to office, and I would certainly do that. I would uh, see it as my role to create an atmosphere where the city staff can can get the work and the business done for the city every day. And like my, like Shane uh, mentioned, I would also say that uh, we have to, we have to sort of be cheerleaders for the city. We have to encourage people and inspire people to get involved and create an atmosphere where they can do so and, and feel like their voices are actually heard. And uh, we have to, you know, we're the second largest city in Oregon and we're the state capital. And I feel like we need to lead by example and I'm ready to do that. Thank you for that. You guys are quick. Um, and so, Chain, you have an opportunity to respond uh, to Chris's question. I mean, Chris's answer, if you'd like. I don't think a rebuttal is needed. I think we're on the same page as far as what the role of the mayor would be. Okay, thank you for that. So, Chris, you're up for the second question. First up, on January 1st, in addition to the seat one of you will fill as mayor, the city council of eight people will have four new members and will have a new city manager. A majority of people will be new to their roles directing city government. 
This suggests possible change in the agenda and priorities. In your view, what should rank as the highest three priorities for the council and why? Thank you for the question, Cindy. I think first and foremost, the council has to develop a rapport so they can they can operate uh, as a cohesive unit as much as possible. That doesn't mean that we're going to agree on all decisions, but we have to be able to work together. And so I think coming together and being able to develop a, a sense of team to uh, achieve the common mission, which, you know, even if you disagree on particular policy issues, we all agree that we want Salem to be the best place it can be even if we have different ideas on how you get there. And so I think developing a rapport with, with those folks is really, really critical because when you get nine people together and then you start adding staff to it, you know there are, there are dynamics at play. And so making sure that we have an atmosphere where we treat each other respectfully at all times, we sort of have a set of ground rules where we, that we all agree to live by and those sorts of things. Uh, that'd be number one. Number two is just getting right to the business and that's continuing the work of the tackling the homelessness issue Certainly, that is number one on the minds of every resident in Salem. Uh, so we've got to continue that work going forward, um, and we've got to help people you know, get through this pandemic. You know, we we keep thinking that we're on the other side of it, and yet we're never quite on the other side of it. And people are struggling; people are living paycheck to paycheck, and we've got to we've got to help people get through that. And so, uh, those would be the uh, the top three for me, just right off the bat. Well, thank you. And Chain, and I'll repeat the question for you. Oh, no need. I got it. Oh, perfect. Thank I you. <laughs> Head on it. Head on it. I see. I think one of the um, negative parts of COVID, there have been many parts that have impacted us, but for city council and for planning commission, I think it's unfortunate that we've not been able to meet together as teams, separate teams. I know that there's a lot of good work that goes on before city council happens and likewise with planning commission. So my hope is that as we move forward, we're going to be back in person and we'll be able to, to build that kind of team of relationship that we need to move forward. My top three priorities and for sure the first one is what I hear from everybody is do something about the homeless issue. We don't, it doesn't seem to be getting better. And, you know, the matter of the fact is that we will never build our way out of this issue, but how do we do, how do we provide this shelter and this programming and treatment in a more effective way so we can move individuals into a healthier, independent lifestyle? Secondly, the affordable housing issue is a huge thing. We're going to be growing by 60,000 people in the next 14 years, and we're we're limited on the amount of buildable land. So how do we accomplish that? So that, I think that's the number one challenge. And then how do we continue to ensure that our public safety system is accountable, is transparent, and is equitable? Um, I've, I've had got a great relationship with Chief Womack, and I'll continue to work with him regardless on the outcome of this election to ensure that all residents um, feel safe in their community and welcomed. Well, terrific. Thanks for those comments on the, or question, answers to those questions. And now, Chain, you're up again for question three. Do you want so, him to rebut? <laughs> pardon? Does Chris want to rebut anything? Oh, sorry. Yeah, Chris, sorry. No, I don't have anything to comment on those uh, at all. No. All right. So down to the third question. Can you just skip the third question? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> Given the search now underway for a new city manager, what are the most important factors to consider in the selection of Salem's next city manager who will lead the operational change or charge to tackle some pretty significant issues you've just mentioned facing the city? Thank you. Um, 
the beauty of our city is that we are very attractive, I believe, to the candidates that are seeking that will be seeking this position. So I think we are going to get the cream of the crop to choose from uh, as far as the next city's leader, city manager's leader. Uh, I think the aspects that I would look for in a city manager is really that ability to communicate with staff well, listen well, because I think a lot of people are top-down kind of leaders and don't listen. Um, That's critical for us to move forward. Uh, In in addition to staff, then the relationship with city council, are they, even though, you know, really the only person that um, city council can, can fire is the city manager. And so that relationship's gotta be just phenomenal. And then the public. There are so many um, opportunities where the city manager should be out in front of issues, communicating, being more involved in the neighborhood associations, even if it's not on a regular basis. But I'm, I'm thinking of community um, projects that are going on. A better communication stream would be good. But I think we're going to get a great one. I'm confident. Well, good. And so, Chris, would you like me to repeat the question? Yes, please. Given the search now underway for a new city manager, what are the most important factors to consider in the selection of Salem's next city manager who will lead the operational charge to tackle some of the pretty significant issues you both mentioned facing the city? Thank you for that, Cindy. I think that that one of the, the primary thing that I'm looking for is first and foremost, is somebody who has the capacity to lead an organization of this size. It's a really complex organization that we have here in terms of the city government, whether it's water, sewer, law enforcement, fire, homelessness, uh, housing authority, you name it, we can go on and on, community development. There are so many different things that the city does. So we have to have somebody that has the capacity, and that means that they have to have some sort of track record to prove that they can lead an organization this of this size and this complexity. And we, we do need somebody with a strong public face. We, that was one of the things that, that we, when the city council developed a recent profile is that we wanted somebody who had the ability to be an outward leader, not just an internal leader, but also someone public facing. They have to have the capacity to work with city council and to guide city council. You know, we're all volunteers. And so we don't all have the same amount of time to be able to contribute towards learning about the issues at hand. And so sometimes it takes, uh, I would say, strong leadership from the the paid staff to help council reach uh, informed and effective decisions. So somebody who's able to balance that, uh, that role of not just uh, being the paid staff person, but always also being able to be the leader of city council to a point and understanding that balance, understanding the roles between elected and and staff and being able to navigate that effectively. Somebody who can get out into our community and be a part of our community and somebody who's reflective of our community, I think is really important as well. So those are the things I'm looking for. Thank you. And Chain, you have any response to that? It's not a rebuttal. It's just an additional comment. Um, listening to um, Councillor Hoy, I really do think that that trust really is a huge characteristic that has got to be just has to be present because, as um, Councillor Hoy indicated, there are going to be times when we're not going to be able to be as up to speed on an issue very quickly, and we're going to rely, we're going to trust that that person will provide that information accurately. Okay, thank you for that. We're going to retitle. It's not going to be rebuttal anymore. It's just yes, if you want to respond, that'll be fine. 
So on to the fourth question. Um, and so Chris, this is yours. Um, given Salem's climate action plan report and ongoing discussion and subcommittee work assessing the recommendations, can you tell us if you support having a Salem climate action plan and how you would lead the effort to adopt and implement the one that has been submitted, revise it or abandon the effort? Thank you for the question. And yeah, I absolutely support it. I was one of the people who voted to implement it and uh, it was part of the discussions creating it. What we what we got out of the, what we have so far is that we have a series of strategies on how we might reduce greenhouse gas emissions here in the city. But we don't, I don't think we have a plan yet. We have a series of strategies. And so the mayor recently appointed a council subcommittee to create what I call what I believe will be our actual plan. We'll be taking those strategies that people have spent a lot of time and energy researching and, and, and listening out for us, and we'll be taking those and formulating an actual implementation plan. And I'm really pleased to be part of that. I'm uh, one of the members of that committee. Um, so we'll be taking that work, figuring out what can we do in the near term, what can we, what maybe is a, a more medium term, and then what are some of the long-term uh, solutions that we need to look at. The other thing that we need to do is we need to engage in a really effective uh, communication plan with the, with the city. We need to, this needs to be um, community conversations in order to tackle some of these bigger long-term things. Some of these short-term things, not so much, but the bigger, uh, broader issues. We need a community conversation to make sure that residents understand, make sure that they have buy-in and, and that they're part of the solution. And so that's what I think uh, really are our next steps, figuring out what we need to do, what in what order, and then engaging the community to make sure that they buy into this and, uh, and are ready to move it forward with this. Okay, thank you. And Chain, would you like me to repeat the question? Nope, I got it. Okay. Thanks. So um, I was um, able to be uh, serve on that cap, uh, climate action plan task force over the past year and a half. It was great work, great representation across our city. Um, and so I enjoyed that work. I'm very supportive of the climate action plan and moving forward with that. And I believe that Councilor Hoy's um, uh, assessment is right. It's going to have to be in stages. What I do think needs to happen, though, and it's one of the recommendations that I hope City Council goes forward with is we do need a, that lead person on staff that's responsible for implementation. Otherwise, it's going to just sit on the shelf. Um, secondly, uh, we do have some strategies in that plan that are of an educational nature, for residents, especially those who are living in the really dangerous parts of our town and are more susceptible to the, the negative effects of carbon emissions. So um, there is a part of this of the plan that does, does lead to that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. There's some exciting things, just if, if some people haven't read it, you know, two of the things that I, I think will be happening soon um, are the uh, transition of electric to electric vehicles from the city fleet. So as our vehicles are, are turned over because of mileage or wear, then the recommendation is that the city replaces those with electric vehicles. Also the um, requirement for electric charging stations and new construction. These are just all great steps that we can take um, on our way to making us carbon neutral by 2050. Great, thank you. And Chris, do you have um, any response to that? I do. I, just to follow up, I would say that I agree with the, uh, what Shane just talked about. And I think it's important that we lead by example, which is the reason, you know, a little over three years ago, I installed solar panels on my roof and I drive an electric car and I power my car generally with the sun, although not always. 
Um, so I think it's important that we that we do those kinds of things uh, as leaders, and that we walk the we, we walk the talk as well. So. You're tuned to All Volunteer Community Radio, KMUZ. Turner, broadcasting to the Mid-Willamette Valley on 88.5 and 100.7 FM. And this is our weekly public affairs program, The Forum. I'm Forum producer Stella Schaffer. My part is short because this is the entire discussion between the two candidates for mayor of Salem this year, Chain Griggs and Chris Hoy. Do you foresee any dramatic new priorities for the city that have previously been understated or even ignored? Uh, It's really hard to top the homeless issue and trying to help these individuals in a more healthy lifestyle. I think one of the issues that continues to plague us is having, finding, identifying, acquiring enough resources to address the our infrastructure that needs so much work, whether it be sidewalk repairs, more bikes, bikeways, more walkable paths. I think we're always struggling um, to find funding to do that. It just seems to be kind of the stepchild of the budget process, much like when I had to lobby for dollars for Department of Corrections against education. It's very similar. So I think that should always be a priority. Um, and then, you know, other livability issues in our cities, like, you know, libraries and things that make our community happen. Um, I, I think uh, will be interesting to see what happens on the bond measure. And that's probably one of your questions. So depending on that, you know, outcome, there might be some other priorities that rise to the top. Thank you. And Chris, do you foresee any dramatic new priorities for the city that have previously been understated or even ignored? Well, I think uh, the answer to that question really relies on what happens at at the ballot. You know, we're going to have we're electing five new positions on city council. So it'll depend on who gets elected. And that's why elections matter, because that will decide what the priorities are. I think that, uh, you know, passing this bond coming up, no matter who, no matter what happens in May, passing the bond that we uh, send to the ballot in November is going to be critical because it's really the only means we have of doing any meaningful uh, infrastructure building beyond uh, just routine uh, routine matters. So it's really going to be a game changer to get that thing. Pat- we, we're going to have to get it passed uh, because it, it, our roads are counting on it. Uh, libraries, uh, there will be affordable housing, uh, parks, all sorts of things. We're really struggling in the city to uh, deal with a lot of those uh, capital investments just because our, you know, as most people I think are aware, the tax structure in Oregon is broken. And cities are often on the uh, the end of that broken structure, and it's it's um, we have to do things like these bonds to really uh, make some dramatic changes. And so I'm very hopeful that that will pass. Jane, any response to that? Yep, I think we're on the same page on that one. And it leads into a next question about the bond. Jane, can you start out and just tell us what your feelings are about the bond support opposed? Um, on specific items in it, or just fill in what your um, thoughts are on the bond. And and I would guess there are a lot of people that haven't really read it fully. Just initially, I would say that the primary charge of city leadership is to ensure that the public is safe. Whatever, you know, whether it be police, whether it be fire, our charge is to keep our children and our families and our businesses safe. One of the big items on the bond measure is the the impact that it would be for the fire department. 
their fleet is decrepit, it's breaking down, they need replacements. Um, and it's already the response rate for an ambulance to get to my house when I have a heart attack is not acceptable because it's about half of what it should be, the response rate. So um, from that perspective, I think that's just critical. I know that there's additional money in there for addressing the, the homeless issue. Uh, and we're going to need all the support we can do kit from that to improve and expand the navigation center um, concept. So that's going to be our probably our best way out of this homeless issue. So dollars there, it's just really hard to argue against really anything in the bond measure, although the priority for me will always be public safety. Jess, how about you? Can you educate us as to the bond? Sure. Well, the fact of the matter is that we don't know what's going to be in the bond yet because we haven't actually made the decision, but we're working on it. And I'm a member of the bond subcommittee to establish recommendations to city council on what will be included. The kinds of things that we're looking at are things like uh, certainly fire equipment, potentially uh, purchasing sites for two new fire stations, um, road maintenance, and also some road building. We're looking at uh, Marine Drive over in West Salem as a following through with our commitment to congestion relief, which is one of our number one um, priorities coming out of our congestion relief task force from a few uh, few years ago that I was a member of. Uh, so that's certainly going to be there. And parks. Uh, we have a lot of parks that need some serious work where we have some uh, failings going on, with whether it's parking lots or, or just new infrastructure where it's play, play structures, that sort of thing. One of the most exciting things that I'm looking forward to is the potential of having uh, not only tackling the homeless situation and an affordable housing situation with um, with new affordable housing construction coming from the bond potentially, but also pairing that with library and doing a mixed use development where we have affordable housing, maybe in the in the top stories and the, a library, a branch library down on the on the ground floor. And I'm really excited about that potential, especially out here in East Salem where I live, which is the most uh, diverse area of our city. And when it's, you know, it's five miles from my house to the library, it's, it's kids, there's no way you can get there on your bike if you're a kid, you know, and get back safely. And so we need branch libraries in places other than just uh, in the core. So really looking forward to things like that as well. Okay, thank you. Any response to that, Shane? Yeah, just to add on, um, I would assume that the concept or the thought of the multi-use uh, affordable housing on top. And there's a distinction between affordable housing and low-income housing. So I'm not sure which the city council is leaning towards, but that, whatever that is, with combination with the library below would be a public-private partnership, I would assume. Or is it going to be all public dollars? But that's probably going to be decided later. And then... <laughs> don't have to answer that one. Um, then my other thought is, I think whatever we can do to develop along those core networks, so think Lancaster, oh, I'm out of town. All right. Thank you for that. And, um, and just to clarify, the bond measure, uh, as I understand it, will is will be on the November ballot, certainly not this ballot, but it will come up in November. November. Okay, great. And so Chris, you're up for our last and final question in the formal debate before we move on to audience questions. So we've heard you and lots of candidates through the years for various offices promise that if elected, I will address homelessness in the community. If we define address as leading, leading the charge, 
what do you think you and city government should do now to help our unsheltered residents and what do you believe it should not do and why? Well, thank you, City. The, the fact of the matter is we are addressing homelessness, and we have been for the last five years. Prior to prior to 2017, as I understand it, we didn't spend one dime on homeless services. And everything that we've done since that time has been built out of whole cloth, which is no small, no small task. And so some of the things that we've done, and people aren't generally aware of them, uh, we, we have our homeless rental assistance program, which pr- provides uh, sort of a, a safety net for landlords to rent to people who don't have a solid uh, rental history. We have developed permanent supportive housing. We have one unit on Fisher Road that's got 31, 31 single units for people with serious and persistent mental illness who have been experiencing homelessness along with wraparound services. We have a, we've just broken ground recently on Yaquina Hall, which is going to provide 51 units for a permanent supportive housing for people with serious and persistent mental illness. And then we have another one that's set to close in October called Sequoia Crossing, which will be out on Northeast Broadway. And that's going to be uh, for families, uh, permanent supportive housing for families. So we've got those things going. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, we have the Navigation Center set to open in here in the next few months, which is going to be a low barrier shelter. We don't have any low barrier shelters in our city, which is a huge problem. And a low barrier shelter means there's aren't a lot there aren't a lot of things that will keep you out of our shelter, and that's and that's starting uh, here in the next few months. We also have uh, you pulled pretty much every lever we can to uh, incentivize affordable ho- the building of affordable housing, whether it's single property urban renewal areas, uh, public private partnerships. We just approved another one on Monday on Monday night that's going to provide intergenerational housing out in Southeast Salem. And then we also, of course, have our micro shelter communities, our managed micro shelter communities, which I was very pleased to recently pass a bill in the legislature that will allow us to use state land to uh, to place more of our micro shelter communities. And I'm very excited about that possibility because, as people have probably read, we're having difficulty citing some of those. Great. So, Chain. Yes. So um, the bill that um, Chris is referring to, that was also, I believe, with Senator Patterson and Raquel, Representative Raquel Moore-Green. So I think it was a team effort, which would have to be. Um, we do have a couple of low barrier shelters. And as Chris mentions, we do need more of those. We have um, the micro shelters are considered low barrier. So for those of you who don't know what that means, that means that they can be using, maybe not on site, but they can be using drugs or drinking, but not on site. Um, the Arches Inn, which I've toured, is also a low barrier shelter, uh, but we do need more of those. I'm in agreement with you on that. The, the uh, challenge is um, identifying enough of the um, permanent supportive housing, the PHH housing, like Redwoods and Sequoia and the Yakina Hall that will open up, because those are the individuals that are, are challenged significantly and are unable, even with adequate uh, supplemental treatment and programming, they're not going to be able to live independently. So I think we need to identify, ensure that the program that is being used in the in any of the shelter, any of the levels of housing and treatment and programming is evidence-based. And But the research department that was under me at the Department of Corrections, that was our charge. We had to report to the Ways and Means and and show them that the limited dollars that we had were actually being used in programs and treatment methods that worked. And so I know that that is kind of a buzzword evidence-based, but I would want to ensure that that happens. And I think when we do, we are going to find that we can move individuals through these limited um, housing options uh, more effectively and onto more independent housing. Thank you. Chris, anything to add? Yes, lots. 
So uh, it, my first thought was, yes, that was, certainly was a team effort. Any bill that passes the legislature is a team effort, but it was my bill. And uh, folks did sign on as co-sponsors, but I did all the work. Uh, so there's that. And in terms of um, what is permanent, a low barrier shelter, the Arches Inn isn't really a low barrier shelter that's currently uh, for fire victims, which is means you have to have been a victim of a wildfire to actually qualify, which means that nobody else gets in at this point. It will be wonderful someday when it is for everyone, but at this point, it's only for fire victims. Okay, we've got time for one more quick question and quick response. What are your thoughts with respect to the need for a third bridge? And if needed, what do you suggest for routing and who should pay for it? Oh, sorry, Jane. It's me. The third bridge is, you know, a conversation that had a lot of input up to the very time that the council voted on it. It was overwhelmingly supported, especially with our regional partners. And I'm not identifying just West Salem because the bridge is actually a potential solution for our region. We are the nexus between east, the coast, into the mountains, and Portland to the south. And we had a lot of regional partners on the table, uh, at the table for that conversation. It's unfortunate it did not pass. I am not saying that that bridge was, the identified location was the correct location. That would require a lot more discourse, conversations with county, state, federal partners to determine the best spot. But we have not had a bridge built since 1954. We have grown significantly since then. And I don't think that we can keep that paradigm that Salem's not a place for growth because we have too many of our children and our retiring parents that want to call Salem their home as well. And we need to look for solutions to to address that. Thank you. And Chris? Thank you. So the actual question that was before us is, should we build that bridge or no bridge? We didn't have the option to pick a different location. That wasn't the question before council, and we didn't have that within our purview. So we said no. And the reason we said no is uh, we didn't want to tear down 150 homes and businesses for people who could least afford to relocate. Uh, We didn't uh, feel like having a flyover off-ramp 12 feet over your head as as you walk across the Union Street Bridge was a good idea. Um, and also the funding of that, it was, is even though you're right, it's a, a regional issue, it was really going to be a burden on our, our local taxpayers because it really wasn't being addressed as a regional issue. Sure, there was some, uh, some federal money proposed and a little, some state money, but it was also going to require a six cents a gallon da- gas tax on Salem residents, $25 per year uh, vehicle registration fee, uh, 37 cents per thousand property tax uh, increase and a dollar fifty toll each way on all bridges. Now that's it wasn't those things weren't assured, but that was the funding example proposed. So those were taxes that were going to be paid by folks living locally, all to to achieve a twelve minute twelve minutes off of your commute at the maximum at the peak time of a commute. All, for all of those reasons, we said this isn't a good idea. Now, do I think we need to look at other options? Of course. That's why, for one thing, why we uh, implemented the Congestion Relief Task Force, which I fully support all of the recommendations we came up with there. But I think we all ought to be looking at potentially a third bridge somewhere in the future, not in North Salem, not and not uh, someplace that would impact people uh, who, who could least afford to be impacted, uh, and certainly not something that's going to fall on just re- uh, Salem residents uh, to pay for it. Hey. Shane, just I'm going to cut you short, like 15 seconds to respond. Okay. 
super quick. Uh, I agree with Chris that the location could not have, may have been not the right location, but I think if we had effective leadership at city council and as a mayor, you would have had those conversations earlier in the game and identified that that location was not appropriate. Okay, thank you for that. And now time for closing comments where you can pull it all together. And Chain, you're up first for closing comments. I am ready. So as I mentioned in my opening comments, the work we've been doing on some of our critical issues has not resulted in a safer, healthier community. Salem needs to be a better version of itself, and I'm equipped to lead that change. Let's bring individuals from across Salem and start that conversation again on how to more effectively address the needs of the homeless population. We should continue and expand the work that the city does with our county partners, the work that has proven to be effective in helping individuals move to a more healthy, independent lifestyle. And what are the opportunities to create even more transparency in our and at the work of our police? I know that Chief Womack would value that discussion and discussion of possible strategies. Having seen that whiteboard in his office, which if you haven't seen, you should see it, it depicts all the numerous groups that he has engaged. And I know that the chief is earnest in his intent to involve all the voices in the community. But let me say in ending that although we have a lot of issues to address, I'm very optimistic and very hopeful about Salem's resiliency. On any given day, you can look at Riverfront Park. You can drive down Lancaster to the north and almost to Portland Road to see a fabulous development um, on the west side of that street. Our downtown is thriving. Willamette Town Center, AKA Lancaster Mall is vibrant. And you can look at just about every part of Salem and see new businesses popping up. I'm working hard to be your next mayor and appreciate consideration of that when you cast your vote. Thank you. And Chris, closing comments. Thank you. I have working relationships with people at every level of government to move Salem forward. Whether it's cities, counties, state, or federal government, I have the solid working relationships to get things done. With so many people experiencing homelessness and so many living paycheck to paycheck, I'm running for mayor because we need to continue the progress we've made towards sheltering services and affordable housing. We're in the midst of revising our laws and rules around transportation, climate action, parks, and other core areas that will determine what kind of city we will be for many years ahead. We cannot go backward. We started addressing the challenges of uh, surrounding our unsheltered neighbors five years ago when I was first elected to the city council. And we've done a number of things to lay the foundation to solve the problem. We've created Safe Park, which supports churches and other organizations to host people living in their vehicles. It provides restroom, shower, and waste facilities and a safe place to sleep. We've established ma managed microshelter communities, which allow people to get off the street and out of tents and where they can receive the supportive services they need to get into permanent, a permanent residence. And I passed a bill in the legislature to expand locations of microshelter communities onto state property. We have the rental assistance program that works with landlords to help provide a safety net to reduce the risk of renting to people with no recent rental history. We've developed permanent supportive housing with two more developments underway. We've used incentives to drastically increase the supply of affordable housing, and we're getting ready to open a low barrier shelter. But it's not enough because people are still living on the streets. We can't lose the momentum we've generated by heading down the wrong road. Salem is at a crossroad. I'm very clear on which road we must take to go forward. I hope you will join me on this journey. I want to thank the Salem City Club for hosting this uh, conversation today. Please visit my website, chrishoyforsalem.com, to learn more about my positions and about me and to donate to my campaign. Thank you.
Thank you both. That was excellent. I just want to um, tell our listeners or, or people who are watching today, um, the candidates did not have the questions beforehand. So um, it just really respect your, your answering the questions concisely and with good information. So thank you for that. So before we get started on questions, I just want to do a quick review. View. And I, I will also say we have our largest audience ever for, for our, our Zoom program. So um, that tells you how important this is to the members of the community. So all registered attendees logged in on a computer pad or other video device have a raise hand icon or button on your screen. If you have a question to ask one or both candidates, please click on the button to raise your hand. People will be called on as time permits. Your microphone will be activated when called on, but you must click on your own microphone icon to be heard. Time is short, so please be quick with your questions. You may also write a question using the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. I will read the question as time permits. If you are joining us by telephone, please press star nine to raise and lower your hand and star six to mute and unmute your phone. So let's get started with the first question. I'll also um, ask that people who are writing in their questions keep their question to one as opposed to a series because I'm only going to ask one. So first question from Bill Dixon. Would you advocate to provide financial incentives to the neighbors of managed homeless sites to reward their cooperation in locating housing? And if both of you could answer that question, that'd be great. So toss up question. Chris, you go first. So if I understood the question, it's would I support financial incentives for neighbors to where we could locate affordable housing? For um, the home, I, I'm taking micro it, shelters. the micro shelters. Um, oh. There's been some opposition to in the community. Thank you. I No, I would not support uh, financial incentives for neighbors. Uh, this We have a community problem. We need the community solution. And I don't think uh, a financial incentive to a neighbor makes sense. I would hope we could find suitable land that uh, wouldn't require that sort of incentivization. Now, are there other things that we might be able to do to help make it uh, make it compatible with the neighborhood? Sure, but an actual financial incentive for allowing a neighbor to move in? No, that doesn't that doesn't square with my way of uh, looking at the world. Jane? Yeah, I agree with Chris on that. I just don't think that that would result in a good neighborly relationship. The person might have some money, but I think that. If that's going to, if a site is going to be next to a neighborhood association, they need to have uh, buy-in from those neighbors. Ideally, we would not cite uh, a micro shelter, as an example, in in a neighborhood. If that would, I would assume, be our last option, um, just because of the relationship between the neighbors and the issues that might occur there. Even though I do know managed care sites are supervised twenty-four-seven. Okay, thank you. And our next question is from William Dalton. And Chain, if you'll, you'll be first to answer this because it will be both of you. Um, city Council has seemed ready to move beyond developer-driven planning, yet city staff continue to greenlight developments that destroy the environment, especially with respect to the tree canopy and traffic. So can you, can you speak to that, that difference between council and staff and what drives, um, what drives uh, the, the planning for growth. I would love to answer that since I'm <laughs> president of planning commission. It's kind of yes. in my wheelhouse. Uh, what drives staff decision are what is written in the UDC, the Unified Development Code. So it, it, it sometimes we're asked to make a decision in a quasi-judicial decision-making environment 
not based on what we feel is good and what we would love to protect trees, but what does the code say? But having said that, city staff is hearing input from the city, uh, from residents. And so periodically, about every other year, we look at UDC changes, code updates. So in response to a lot of people's concerns, we have um, changed the tree code, for example, so that more significant trees are uh, protected. And, but there's a process. And so it's just really difficult when we get neighborhood associations and individuals signing up and testifying. And, and they're very frustrated. Um, but we don't have the liberty of making a decision as we would in a legislative decision-making area. But it is quasi-judicial. We and staff are following what's in the UDC. But rest assured, they are trying to listen to uh, residents and making changes where possible. Thank you, Chris. And Chris, before you start, the next question is going to be asked by Melissa, who has her hand raised. And just um, to go through that process, I just wanted to let her know she's coming up. So, Chris. Thank you. And I would say that Chain uh, is 100% correct with her answer. But I would also add to that, that um, that's why elections matter. Because the city council writes those rules that the staff have to follow. And the reason that there's been a perception that uh, trees have not been valued or, or we do uh, development at all costs is because that's what our rules said until recently, until we started rewriting them. And city council has taken it on to re rewrite this, the tree code and we're rewriting, we're, we have the Salem process going on right now where all of those things are going, to, are, the priorities are realigned and more reflective of our community today, not reflective of the folks who wrote those rules a number of years ago. So those things are changing. Uh, the quasi-judicial portion of my job is the uh, least pleasant and most frustrating part there is. And uh, people get very frustrated when we have to follow the law and not follow what we would like to do. I'll just stop there. Okay, thank you for that. And the question is from Jan Margosian. Although Marion County has the primary responsibility for the Covanta contract, should the city of Salem get more involved because Salem citizens are most affected through their garbage rates? And that actually is from Les Margosian. So Chris? Thank you. I would have been disappointed if we didn't have a Covanta question from City Club. <laughs> so this is one of those ongoing issues that uh, where it's very frustrating because our garbage does primarily go to the to the garbage burner. But the state legislature uh, wrote the law that gives the county 100% authority where our garbage goes. And while the city does have a, a stake in it in terms of because it's our waste, we don't have any control over where the, the garbage goes. That's 100% the county commissioners and then also the state legislature who wrote that law. And so we do play a role in it, but it is not within our purview to make that decision. The legislature took that uh, decision away from the, the city of Salem and from the city of Portland and gave it to their counties instead. And that was a number of years ago. And so we really don't have any choice in the matter, although I agree that um, we are all impacted by those decisions. Hey, Chain. Yes, and I, um, Chris is absolutely right on the who has the authority. But I think that's where it comes. It's very important that whoever is mayor has a very good working relationship with our county commissioners. And I do. I've known Commissioner uh, Cameron since he was at the uh, restaurant at the Capitol. So many, many years. And I've got a good relationship. And that's where I think it's important to have leadership, be able to have those exploratory conversations. How, what can we change? What where can we get to yes on this answer? 
because it's a fact that most of the impacts are on our lower income neighbors. Um, they're very disproportionately affected by the Covanta emissions. Okay, thank you. And I think- I have, have a response to that one. Uh, just very quickly. Very quickly. I have an excellent working relationship with the county commissioners. They recently appointed me as a state representative. They appointed me to the Marion County Public Safety Coordinating Commission. And I have breakfast with them every month and we talk about these very issues. So I agree with Jane on that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. This is from Jim Shepke. One of four Salem residents is Latinx and the percentage is growing. How would you make sure we are meeting the needs of that growing community that has been underserved in the past? You want to? Sure. I love that question. That that is the most exciting part of my campaigning so far is having that outreach into the Hispanic community. My campaign manager is Latino, Jonathan Castro. We had a we had our first. Uh, I don't know if you're talking to me, Cindy. We had our first <laughs> Hispanic event um, with about 50 individuals. I entertained them with my not really great Spanish. Uh, we registered folks to, to um, vote. It was just a very exciting, and I, that's, not gonna, that's not gonna stop. I had a conversation with the gentleman that owns El Toro and El Torito, and his conversation was, you know, we get who's president. We don't know any of these other people that run for city offices because they never come talk to us. Well, I am gonna be talking to them. Good, so Chris? Thank you. As the only city councilor who represents a majority minority ward, uh, this issue is very important to me. And that's why I introduced uh, uh, a motion last year to require that all of our council meetings be translated in both ASL and Spanish. And that practice is now uh, underway. And I'm excited to expand that to things like the planning commission so people can really engage with our with our boards and commissions. So that's that's an area that's uh, critical to me as well. Okay, and now I think we can get Melissa on. And Melissa, I apologize, you got removed from my screen. So Melissa, if you're, I think your microphone is unmuted if you if it's unmuted on your end and go ahead and ask your question. Okay, simply put, um, aside from all policies and backgrounds in politics, I'm curious, how long have you lived in Salem and what's your experience been? Chris, you wanna take that first? Sure. I lived in Salem while I went to Willamette from 1983 to 1987. Then I moved back to the coast for a while, and I've lived here uh, since 2003. Jane? Um, I moved here from North Carolina in 1977. Uh, Within a few years, I followed the example of my parents and started volunteering in our community. I've volunteered on various boards since 1980. Um, There's not been a time that I haven't been volunteering in addition to working and raising a family. Well, and I'm afraid we are out of time and I can't tell you how many questions we have left to go. The audience is very, very interested in your what you had to say. And we're all really, really pleased. We have two candidates stepping up to run for mayor and we'll have such new leadership and you may be a part of it. You've been listening to Chris Hoy and Chain Griggs, the two candidates running for mayor of Salem in this year's election. KMUZ would like to thank Salem City Club for the audio recording to make this program. This is Community Radio KMUZ Turner, broadcasting local news and public information for the Mid-Willamette Valley. This program is aired on Friday afternoons and repeated Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. And this program will be archived permanently on the website at SalemCityClub.com, where you can go, download it, and listen again. Thanks for listening.